0: Appamada and its programs are supported by your generosity, and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to you folks. It's wonderful to be present, um, feels really nice. And it's lovely to have you guys um, online as well. Thank you for coming. Um, it's a pleasure to see you all. Also, if there are people who are uh, listening later on from sanghas, uh, Sister Sanghas in Chicago, uh, Madison, Minnesota, um, England, um, Switzerland, uh, Alpine, and Hawaii. Welcome to you all as well. Uh, to start, I'd like to mention an announcement. Maybe you all might have some announcements, too, but I'm not aware. Um, and that is that there is a plan um, in the making for having the G-cell ceremony soon. Uh, we don't have a date. Um, as soon as the three teachers gather together, everybody's back. then. Uh, we'll set up a date. So keep a, keep an eye out um, on email for that information. Anything else that anybody has to...
1: What's the Jigo ceremony? Jiso. What is it? Oh, what is
0: it? Okay, that's the celebration of this um, little figure that's common in, in, um, in Japan. There's statues all over Japan. He wears a little red coat and he is known as the protector of Children in particular, and also it can be animals and um, travelers. Um, and he's just uh, considered as like this little um, enlightened being. And typically, he's um, the statues. Either they'll have he'll have children hanging off of, off of him, and in his little coat and up around his arms and so forth all over it. Or he'll he'll have more of a defensive sort of look. He'll have a spear in one hand and. And um, so yeah, it's a little bit different, it's more the protector or the kind of guy that hangs out with the children. So we usually celebrate that every year and with it, um, people who have lost uh, children or in one fashion or another, um, <clears throat> uh, they so we used to do fold cranes for it and then put them out in the yard. And, don't know if we'll be doing that last year because we have online and it's kind of it would be kind of funny to try to do that so last year we just had people talk about uh, their own situations um in terms of uh, who they might have lost and what what it means for them so we'll probably be doing something more like that and maybe making our own little gsos that's remains to be seen as soon as the plan is up and running, we'll let you know. So you'll be ready for, for that. Anything else to report? No? Nothing. OK. So um, the Dharma talk. So this talk is, is based on primarily on a, a talk by Suzuki Roshi. And it's um, called Direct Experience of Reality. And it's from this book, Not Always So. Um, <clears throat> And I chose, I chose it because I thought it was an interesting talk and it wasn't until I actually started getting into it and writing about it that I realized that it it kind of goes hand in hand with the talk that I um, gave two weeks ago. So some of it, this may be redundant for some, um, but I thought it was really nice to think of it in terms of voices, different voices talking about the same thing, and they're the so we'll get into that in a minute. But if they're voices that they're important to hear, then the message I think is really important, and it doesn't matter who's saying it or how many times you hear it, I don't think it's ever quite often enough. So, um, so first off, uh, let's talk about what Suzuki Roshi had to say. So, he's talking about the direct experience of reality. <clears throat> And um, he starts out with a a quote from Dogen that everything, everything is encouraging us to attain enlightenment. Everything. So um, this talk is an attempt to encourage you to um, attain enlightenment. The the writings that we have. Everything that happens to us is an attempt to enlighten you. It's important to, to, to bear that in mind, that everything that happens is a way for us to become enlightened. It's encouragement for that. So what does that what does that mean? So <clears throat> we spend time time studying and reading uh, Buddhism and, and sometimes we may think oh i feel like i've been enlightened from what i read and so and that may be so you know the mind the the intellect can help us understand um, what we're dealing with but it may not necessarily be that it's the intellect that will actually take us to the direct experience so it may help us understand it and then lead us to it, but it may not be the, the direct thing. But that's not to say that intellectual understanding is not important, it is. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that enlightenment is something completely different. But the true direct experience of things, um, it, it, it can be intellectualized, but this is a conceptual understanding, and it may help us, but it's not not the real deal in and of itself. So. Um, And it's really important to understand the difference between um, intellectual understanding and a direct experience of reality because there is a difference. And it's very helpful if you have a true teacher who can tell you that and help you with that. So um, when when one studies Buddhism, Suzuki Roshi says, and it's obvious, um, one must have a strong conviction conviction to study with both the mind and the body, and the body. So direct experience will come when you, um, the description of it is that it will come when um, you were one with your activity. You're one with your activity. You have no idea of self, of the self. So I think uh, most of us have probably had experiences, and I think of it in terms of in retreat, for example, when especially after several days of retreat and we're to being told to do our work practice, just do the work practice. And we focus we focus just on what we were doing as we do it. And the, t- the self often just slips away over after being in retreat for a while. So and then you have the direct experience of, just doing something and you're and you're not not with self-concern. You're not worried about am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? You're not worried if you're being successful or not, or all these dualistic notions that often come up when we're trying to practice. So if you think that you have some sort of problem with your practice, you have you're just having a problem, it means, according to Suzuki Roshi, is that their practice isn't good enough. But yeah, we'll put that aside. Um, But he says your practice is, is is good enough when you actually see and do what you see and do is the is the direct experience of reality again, a sense of no self. Okay. We'll so I don't get go So without knowing this, without realizing that it's Separate from self, then we may we enter into judgments, and we do this all the time. I think I speak for myself anyway. Um, that we say, well, no, this is wrong. This is, right. this is right, and this is perfect. Well, this is not." And so then we've kind of gotten away because real practice, doing real practice, these judgments don't apply. They just don't come in. Just is. We're just doing it. Just doing it. So. Um, So one needs, again, this strong conviction to realize life beyond successful and unsuccessful, right or wrong. And that real practice goes beyond these dualistic ideas of good and bad, and beyond the feeling of fear, which is often what arises um, when things come up. When when things come up that you don't expect and that aren't, aren't what you wanted. You know, stuff that comes up all the time in our lives that, you know, we have car accidents and we get sick or people die and all that sort of stuff. So, and yet, you, you, the idea is we accept things. doesn't mean we're joyful necessarily about it, but we accept it. And this goes back to the talk that I made two weeks ago about uh, Hakim, who was the monk who was accused of fathering a child, which wasn't true, but when the parents came with the child and said, you take it, he took the child and said, um, is that so? You know, When he was accused of it, is that so? And he took the child, is this so? And of course, they came back in a year and said, oh, she, she was lying. It was actually this guy that worked in the fish market. Mm-hmm. And so they took the child back. And he responded the same way, with total equanimity of, OK, and mm-hmm. then letting this child lose, despite the fact that he lost his reputation. During this whole ordeal, so it's it's that kind of thing. Just he's just doing the next thing without getting all involved in how he feels about it. The ego is not there, which is truly amazing. So that is real practice. Real practice. Um, so. This is also the same practice, and I brought this up, came up last, uh, last talk as well, that is involved in our bodhisattva vow. Okay. Um, the bodhisattva vow that beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I am not too obvious. So real conviction to to make this vow, even, which, can we help every sentient being? Can we save all of them? Well, we don't really know know that we can. And it doesn't really matter if we can or we can't. The point is, is that we're fixing our way that direction. Right, That's what we're doing. So it's kind of in line with this same sort of thing that our practice, real you know, practice, is, is shooting for something, shooting for something and doing the best that we can without a bunch of opinions and you know upset you know, all of our reactions. And, and those are, I'm not saying that that's not a normal thing we do. So we work with that and we try as hard as we can to understand things and but let go what gets. Need to let, it's a question of letting go of some of those reactions and learning to accept things so that we can live. actually live with them. Because if they're going to be there and we can fight with it and struggle. I don't know if you remember ever getting caught in something that you're really upset that it's happened. And so that overshadows everything and it really kind of messes things up for everybody around you as well. So. This is the teaching that is considered, well, for one thing, if we're able to meet things directly that like that, then we're opening ourselves to invaluable other teachings. And these are considered the, the incomparable teaching, the true teaching. And this teaching, this is the absolute teaching, doesn't mean that it's the best teaching or it's lofty or it's profound. Rather it's the teaching on how to practice. And that's what makes it so essential, how to practice. So it's not like well, how to practice, and it also um, sets up an attitude for our way to study. Our way to study. So rather than having a systematic system in the way of Buddhism, there is a certain system, but it's not like you do this when this happens. It's not really like that. It's more like, how do we accept and live into it? It's not like, do do X, do Y. You know, it's not that sort of linear sort of thing. But we have these rules, and the rules help it make it easier for practitioners and to make it more accessible, just the whole practice, more accessible to everyone. And it helps us experience Buddhism. But they aren't always necessary, but you really need them to start with. You need to start with. so you get into the habit of, of studying in a certain way, and what are we aiming for? Those are important rules to set up in the first place. So what is important is, is that we're deepening and broadening broadening our way of life. So whatever happens, whatever happens, things will encourage your practice. And if you can enjoy your life in its true sense, then even if you um, develop an injury or you develop some sort of disease or some something something that you don't really want happens, it's okay. <laughs> Easy to say, right? But if we look at things as gifts, and this goes goes this is going to bleed into the bodhisattva now by Tori uh, Zenji that I talked four, and I'll read it in a minute just to have a refresher um, about sometimes these things that seem not what we want, not what we wanted to have happen, happen, and they end up being a gift. Um, a gift on our path. It opens us up to something else. So that um, if any, whatever happens, whatever happens, it's all right. It's okay. It provides information on what the next thing is to do. So, if you are encouraged by everything and you realize everything is always helping you, then there is no difference. If you're, if you're alive or, or you're dead, everything is all right. And this is complete renunciation. Complete renunciation. And this is again mentioned in the Bodhisattva Vail, which I love to know. So I'll I'll read this and point out a few few areas that I'm talking about. So this is a version of that which I pulled out of somewhere else off the internet. It's it's a different version from the one we had in our book. It's similar, but there's a couple of lines in there that um, are are worded really nicely, so I chose to use it. Uh, Since I don't know Japanese, I can't make any sort of judgment about the translation of either one. Um, And he starts out a little differently. I am only a simple disciple, but I offer these respectful words. When I regard the true nature of the many dharmas, I find them all to be sacred forms of the Tathagata's never failing essence. Each particle of matter, each moment, is no other than the Tathagata's inexpressible radiance. With this realization, Our virtuous ancestors, with compassionate minds and hearts, gave tender care to beasts and birds. Among us, in our daily lives, who is not reverently grateful for the protections of life, food, drink, and clothing? Though they are inanimate things, they are nonetheless the warm flesh and blood, the merciful incarnations of Buddha, All the more, we can be especially sympathetic and affectionate with foolish people, particularly with someone who becomes a sworn enemy and persecutes us with abusive language. That very abuse conveys the Buddha's boundless loving kindness. It is a compassionate device to liberate us entirely from the mean-spirited delusions we have built up with our wrongful conduct from the beginningless past. With our own response to such abuse, we completely relinquish ourselves, and the most profound and pure faith arises. At the peak of each thought, a lotus flower opens, and on each flower there is revealed a Buddha. Everywhere is the pure land in its beauty. We see fully the Tathagata's radiant light right where we are. May we retain this mind and extend it Throughout the world, so that we and all beings become mature in Buddha's wisdom. So, um, so the reference references in this this um, the Bodhisattva vow to Suzuki Roshi's uh, talk are many. Um, So, all this discussion about the true nature of the many dharmas um, are all sacred forms. So that's. And my understanding of what he's talking about is everything is encouraging us. Everything is encouraging us for enlightenment. These are the sacred forms that are occurring to us. They're all, they abound everywhere. If you've ever read um, Rio Can or the uh, Cold, Cold Mountain, um, you read that stuff and they're writing about the beauty and everything around them, or their loneliness, or whatever they're talking about, but they're talking about it in a, in a pure sense that it's all um, impacting them and it's all the Tathagata's gift to us. That's the way I see it. So, with this realization of was answers, with compassionate minds, give tender heart, blah, blah, blah. Um, and gratitude for all the protections of life uh, and though they are inanimate things they are nevertheless the the, less, the warm flesh and blood the merciful incarnations of buddha and it's just i mean when i read these lines i think wow what is it to to think about every day to be aware enough to say wow what if I were just to consider what's going on at this moment as the warm flesh and blood of the Tathagata? I mean, that changes. That's, it. that's you know, It changes the whole deal. What gratitude for one thing does that create? And it's it's instead it's not the big struggle that that sometimes our lives can be. I it just moved me a lot um, to even contemplate that. Uh, so um, we talked last last time I spoke about this people who abuse us, and I'm not talking about abusive relationships that are, you know adults may be involved in. We don't want to encourage people to just. Say that's coming from the top. You don't want to go there, so that's not what we're talking about. But um, so uh, that's just a whole different conversation, I think. So, um, but, uh, what was I going to say about that? Um, oh, this this open response that that's that's what I'm talking about. This open response to see to to see things in this light, um, and it being a renunciation, complete renunciation. And I think about two, is we hear this all the time, or not all the time, but frequently enough, from Flint. You know, Flint, he talks a lot about renunciation, about letting go, I use that terminology, just letting go, how simple you wanna make it. And as a means to be fully alive, in our in our lives really being with what is life as it is the only teaching really being with that and then also know that we there's a there's there's a there's a force out there that's that's offering it I don't know, what is that right so And this is what Congress said. It, realize everything is helping you. This is complete renunciation. Let it go.
2: OK. Where have I gotten myself? I know I've gotten more from the page.
0: Okay. Okay. So, um, so I guess it, it's not surprising that a lot of these a lot of these talks and readings come to the same subject, I mean, there's so many different ways you can say the same thing but it's really nice to see several of them put together and it kind of like bolsters it up and makes it more clear about what we're talking about and it in- inspires me and I hope it will inspire you to, to consider just maybe once a day or once a week you know that everything is, is is trying to encourage us on this path. Um, everything, and it what a novel way to turn and to see that. And I think that the ego slips out when it's when it's some when you're looking at it from a different perspective. The ego doesn't come into play. It's not that you're trying to hold it back. It just doesn't come. It's not part of the deal when you look at it this way, when you're renunciating. So that's the end. And I thank you very much.
2: If there are any questions. Yes. Uh, I have a comment. Nancy Lee uh, has really uh, been a great model for me this last week uh, in really turning toward what is happening. And uh, I'm gonna give an instance of when I didn't. When I didn't use what was happening now. uh, And anyway, I was with my granddaughter and I was in charge, we were at a restaurant and she was wanting to go play on this kind of island area. Where the ballet cars were going around it. (laughs) And so I was saying, no, she couldn't. And she started hitting at me and hitting me gently, you know, but my reaction was, what do I do now? How do I stop this? What's the right thing to do? And, um, you know, I, I didn't act skillfully. And I realized later, you know, I was not in the moment. I was in the eye. What do I do? How do I handle this? And I thought, uh, thought of the uh, compassionate, luminous, mirror wisdom. What if I had just gone, gotten down and said, you are really angry. I can see that. And if I had met her where she was, I don't know. I don't know what would happen because I didn't do that. <laughs> but you know, it was where I was trying to feel like I should impose something or I wanted it to be different instead of being in there in that moment with her. It's a good example.
0: Um ah, similar of situation. But yeah, that's that's that gap finding that space. Mm-hmm. Momentary space. Just remembering to do that. Everything That's a great difference. Silent so practice.
2: <laughs> so many Dharma days. <laughs> so yeah.
1: So this morning, um, Robin thought she was leading orientation, but there was, there's this fly, and I don't know if you've seen it flying around the sendo, but uh, we had a newcomer to orientation, and it kept lying, laying on its, landing on its sleeve, and it became, for me at least, the teacher. So Robin was talking about Zen, and this guy was actually, or woman, was enacting the whole thing and also causing the uh, participant to have something to deal with. <laughs> and it, it was, I'm really, um, I'm really into this slide that's been flying around, and it came from. Um, we had a great uh, potluck the other night, mm. and it came in there. it didn't <laughs> like the food that, it had. and uh, it was really curious about orientation and. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a new song. Remember, I'm trying to get it to email. <laughs> well, you
0: know, I hope he's not the one that ended up in the ash.
1: Mm. It's a different
0: one. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so they were oh, different Yes. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, there's <laughs> one that ended
2: up in the Their ash. Your siblings.
1: Right. OK, I put him up in the. They could see this in the living I
3: think Rosemary wants to see this. we have Rosemary online. OK. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> okay. To know if we have room uh time for breakout rooms.
0: Um
1: it's ten thirty
0: two. Yeah, as long as we finish by quarter two. Yeah, we have a little bit of time. Is there something particular you would like to discuss?
3: Um um my oh yeah. I I just um find it really um helpful to talk in the small group. I mean, I, I'm, as you know, I can talk in the big group, too. Um, but um, I find that, um, you know, there's, there's more chance that more people will share when we get into the little groups, even for 10 minutes, you know. Yeah,
0: sure. I'm OK with that. Um, maybe we should take. Oh, there's
3: two people that want to talk. Um, it was Lynn
0: first. Should we take Lynn's question? And yeah, yes. let's do that.
4: Hey, Lynn. You
5: should be unmuted now, Lynn. I think you might have muted yourself again. I don't get your hand off that button, Lynn. <laughs>
6: <laughs> okay. There you go. I have more of a background question. Um, and this comes up, I know, a lot in our discussions. But uh, but just listening listening to you, uh, thank you so much Um Laurie, for, for what you, you know, the idea that um, real practice is beyond fear. The idea that we accept things doesn't mean we enjoy it, but we accept it. Uh, doing the next thing without getting all involved with how you feel about it. I totally understand that because when I feel that way, when I get all wrapped up in something, I can't, fun- I can't be skillful in my communications. So I totally understand that. So my macro question is, I'm thinking, okay, well, let me just start with Suzuki Roshi, who was born, I, I looked him up, he was born in 1904, which means, and he was living in Japan until 1959, which means he would have been a, a man of in, in his late 30s, maybe early 40s, during when Hirosh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Got bombed by atomic bomb by the United States, and um, I'm just wondering his idea that everything is a gift. I, I I wish I wish we knew what how that was a gift uh, for him. And, and but my my question is more about what's happening today. But I just I thought about that, thinking well, what happened in his life like that? I I, I grew up in a democracy. Um, I taught the democracy. I taught, I, I've, I've lived and breathed it. It's in every cell in, in my body and we're losing it. It's almost gone if we're, if we're not careful. Um, how can I accept this? How can I just kind of say, okay, well, this is what's happening. Uh, don't, um, try not to get involved with how you feel about it. I don't know how to do that. Yeah.
0: There's a, um, a really good discussion about that, and I was gonna bring it and I didn't, um, in the book, uh, in the Buddha's words. And the Buddha talks directly about emotional involvement and, and the danger of, of that. Um, so that would be a good reference right now. Oh, we probably have it back there, but oh well. Um, so the thing is, is that the, the emotion is If we're looking looking at the way we want things to be, if it's denying a reality, we're gonna have trouble. As I see it, we have not lost the democracy yet. So we don't have to stress about that it's lost. We do have to be aware that we are losing it. And if we have an opinion about that, if that's important to us. We need to do what it, do what we can to within the ethical code to make it not be or help to have other people come together around it. So this is not a practice of don't do anything. This is not that at all. When not what it's about. But when reality is in front of us, right now, yeah, we may have a reaction, but the the ideal part, when you're so skilled at practice, you know, you're like Suzuki Roshi, and you can just take that in. This is where we are. What do, what's the next step? But we're not there yet. The time is, the resistance is for now. After the fact, you may want to do resistance too, but it's not about the feeling about it, it's what's the next step.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's the distinction. Because if your feelings are, it's okay.
6: radical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I, I know that quite well. Thank you. The
5: question. Yeah, go to that one first.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. Oh, there's Genev Okay.
4: Let's take Genev's question and then we'll see Okay. What... Hey, Jenab. Hi. Um, How's it going? Um. It's um going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't really have a question so much as a. am thinking about the ethics and I'm thinking about what Lynn said and I'm thinking about a study I read that people who have no emotions can't make any decisions. Like they can go through, if I did this then that would happen, but if I did that then this would happen, so what if I did that and the other, they can do that for hours, they can never stop because they don't have any emotional information. So for me my thought is that it's not that we not have emotions, but that we not stay attached to them.
0: That's correct. You're one hundred percent correct. It's the attachment to the emotions that will lead you all over the place. That's right. But we have to know how we feel about things. I mean, that's okay. a barometer in our system of what, and that will lead you to the ethics. You know, what is this ethical? We yeah. Good point. Thank you.
4: Yes. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Uh, Rosemary has a hand up her. you wanting to say something again, Rosemary? Yeah.
3: Thanks. Um, yeah, so first of all, thank you. I, I love this talk. Um, and the idea that I think it did fit with your talk a few weeks ago about that um, these trials, these these vexations that come to us in life are can be seen as devices to help us cultivate compassion and loving kindness, no matter what. Um, and, um, let's see, what was my thought? Oh yes. And to Lynn, you know, when we experience everything that we're experiencing right now, and then personally as well, if I experience it as not happening to me personally, but it's, it's happening to everyone and the whole planet and all of that um i think that that helps because it helps dissolve the self a little bit when you see it that way um and i do have a little example um personal one so um some of you know that i have struggled with um uh ringing a bell that actually resonates in our meetings um it clinks just does not you know extend the way It does when i'm hearing it so um i i was you know i had this responsibility in a meeting for about a year and nobody said anything and then one day kim said you know it's kind of (laughs) clinking he said it much nicer but anyway i you know i i get very sensitive about these things so to me you know it it um it became you know i felt some personal reaction inside sometimes outside too Anyway, long story short, people are trying to help me with it. You know, let's, you know, I had a session with, with Kim. Um, Let's look at the settings, blah, 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 blah. Time went on. And Nancy, um, who, who one, one morning had to ring the bell unexpectedly. And it was beautiful. Said Nancy, maybe, maybe you can help. Um, We, I think we had one meeting and then again, it got forgot. Anyway. So she she reached out to me and it's like, I don't want to deal with this bell anymore, you know. My my bell. And yeah. So we had a meeting um recently where I said, Nancy, let you know, I really didn't want to, but she was offering. So I said, let's just look at all your settings. Long story short, it got resolved. Um, the bell rings beautifully. I'm afraid to try it now because I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm raising it because as you were speaking, I thought, okay, if it wasn't my bell and if it wasn't me ringing the bell, I think I, you know, it would have been a lot better for me experiencing, experiencing all that, all of the help that was offered because all of the help just felt like, um, shining you know a light on imperfection personal imperfections so so if it wasn't my bell and I wasn't ringing it I think there would have been more um openness to seeing the help as a positive thing so anyway um yeah so I thought that was kind of an example of a um a treasure that was offered to me to learn this, thank you.
0: Thank you,
2: um, Monica. Um, I'd like to just um, speak a little on on Lynn's uh, share um,
0: because I consider, in my practice, meeting what is. I can I can acknowledge. I mean, I can acknowledge my feelings that
5: come up and notice when they're there. And then part of the practice is also um, taking right action and right speech around those things, but feelings are a normal thing for human beings. And um,
0: just noticing that they're there um, is part of the practice for me. So I just wanted to share that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Laurie, we have Genev and Becky with a hand raised. Okay. Um, Becky first, just to...
2: We haven't heard from her yet. Oh, wrong one! <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're dancing, we're dancing here. Oh, okay. I've
0: got post retreat malaise. Hey <laughs> <laughs> um, can't
5: hear you. You're muted. Oh. oh, I'm there. Okay, right now we can hear you. No, I <clears throat> I, I just wanted to speak to what Lynn brought, brought up as well, because I think that it's a real important thing for us to be able to distinguish. Um, I've never had a problem being angry and, and judgmental in relationship to systems in, in you know, the, the structural things that exist. And that people play out because they are the system. I'm not, I'm not okay to be angry or judgmental with the people. And it's taken a long time to learn that, but I'm pretty clear about it now. So, you know, it's not like I could hate the leader of a country who is behaving badly. I don't feel judgmental of that person either. They are as wounded as any other person and often more so. But the system sucks. <laughs> and so that's, that's where I allow myself to feel the judgment that brings me to whatever action I might need to, to bring, might be able to bring. Um, and I think it's important for us to stay judgmental about those kinds of things. Uh, as long as we don't get eaten up by it ourselves and don't address it to people. So that's where I'm working with it. Not perfectly, uh, but, but the, the, I think that that's important if we are going to um, keep like bring things to some place where it is possible on a large scale. Otherwise, there's huge suffering. So yeah, that's that's all. I just wanted to say that's where i what I've worked out for myself as well. And I thank you so much for this talk. It's been uh, really useful. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Becky. And it's interesting to say that even if it is in the systems without getting eaten up. So again, it's that attachment to to the way things are or our feelings we think
4: about the way they should be. Yeah. Thank you so much. we have Geneve. And how much time we have? Are we done?
0: Um, go ahead and say whatever you're gonna say and then we okay.
4: should well I just wanted to say I think it's also possible to um, take ethical action uh, uh, toward or in reaction to actions without judging the people who did the things. Um, And I think that's healthier uh, all around, more helpful. I mean, the universal love principle can function that way, whereas you don't allow actions to occur. You don't um, dehumanize people. But I'm with Lynn in the sense that um, well, I've studied Latin American dictatorships, you know, and I spent the last three years translating almost entirely first-person testimony of torture and crimes against humanity. For example, when seventy thousand people were murdered in Peru in the '70s, and some of them children, and it's it's very hard for me to grasp how any of those. Things that happened to those people were gifts or were helping them toward the path. You know, when an eight-year-old child gets massacred for no reason whatsoever, I can't think that for him it was a gift. So that I'm just, I'm not, not, this is a whole other conversation, but I just wanted to reflect with Lynn that I'm in that, I sit in that question a lot as well. Oops,
0: sorry. That's a a good question. These are important questions that we need to to look at, you know, and, and spend time talking and thinking about.